Thank you, Pastor. Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's such a joy to be able to come to FGA. This is actually, I believe, my first time uh, I'm, I'm in your service, I think. Yeah, first time ever in the service. And, uh, and to think that I'm actually preaching in your brand new building, that's amazing. And uh, we, we moved in on the same weekend, and um, I'm so happy to see that um, this is a great facility. I don't know if you realize it's a privilege to be able to have a facility like that uh, so that you can meet every week and then bring your friends and know that they'll be comfortable. And I think that's amazing. And to the, the older leaders in FGA, my, I salute you, you know, for being able to raise your own succession from within the church. I think that is a fantastic uh, achievement. So all the, all the glory we give to the Lord, yeah, for, for all this. So thank you so much for the joy of uh, coming to, to speak this morning. And Pastor, thank you for your graciousness. I know it's so last minute, you know. I hate it when people just text me and said they want to preach in my church. But <laughs> so thank you. Um, I feel so, so bad, but at the same time, I feel so good. <laughs> so fantastic. I, I, I want to bring you a word this morning, which I've entitled. Uh, it's from a very familiar uh, parable in the Bible, but thank you, thank you. Uh, I, I, my voice must be sounding bad. Huh? They had to bring me water. <laughs> I, I just came from a Vietnamese uh, young adults conference, uh, which is held in about an hour away from here. So they, they were in camp. So I think we were sharing the pulpit with a, with a fellow minister from Sydney, uh, Steve Chong uh, from Rice. And I think he's, he's taken over now. So I'm, I've I'm come over. So I'm glad to be able to come. So if you have your Bibles, I want to turn uh, to the book of Matthew. I want to share out of the parable of the workers in the vineyard and then get you ready for... Uh, a new attitude to service in the new year, okay? But uh, I want to give you the context to that parable. So instead of starting to read from Matthew 20, I want to take you to Matthew chapter 19, which is where the whole episode began. So if you could go with me now to Matthew chapter 19. I'm going to read for you from verse 27 onwards and then take you through that parable. So go with me now, Matthew chapter 19, verse 27. And listen to this. Peter answered Jesus, saying, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And then Jesus said, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on His glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who have left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. And then you listen to that last phrase that he used as he ends this. He says, but many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. And then he goes on to tell us the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Let me start reading from uh, 20, chapter 20, verse 1. He goes on to say this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and then send them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. So he told them, You also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. And so they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. 
about five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. And so he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. So he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman or his manager, call the workers and pay them their wages. And then he gave them this specific instruction, beginning with the last ones hired and then going on to the first. And the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But when each of them also received a denarius, they began to grumble against the landowner. And those who were hired last work only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them saying, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? So take your pay and go. I want to give to the one who were hired last the same as I gave to you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous. And then you notice he ended again with the same phrase, right? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Now, let's bow. We have a word of prayer and then I will unpack these verses for you. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you will anoint your servant so that I may deliver your word with clarity, with simplicity, but also with authority. I pray that, Lord, you give us a word in season so that the word that I share today will be relevant to the people that are seated here. And I pray that, Lord Jesus, you hide your servant behind the cross so that Jesus alone is lifted up as your word is being shared. Lord, may you take preeminence in this place as your word is shared. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. There was once a pastor who was actually asked to preach from Matthew chapter 19, verse 27, the text that was given to him. So what he did was he went up to the pulpit and he read the text, Matthew 19, 27, which reads like this. Peter answered him, we left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Then he closed his Bible and he shouted at the top of his voice, Nothing! Then he sat down. The message was over. It was the shortest message he ever preached. But that message, I think, went across. The point he was making is this. If we serve expecting something, we may end up with nothing. And when he was asked by a member after the message, how long did it take you, Pastor, to prepare that one-word message? And his response was, 20 years. What's my point? Here's my point. It takes spiritual maturity, I think, to understand the paradox of knowing that there are rewards in heaven that goes in line with what we do here on earth. But yet, our service must be motivated by our love for God rather than the rewards that He has prepared for us. Are you with me? And it takes spiritual maturity to understand that. And I think this is the main lesson in the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And I want to give you the context to this parable and then we interpret it uh, in the light of this, okay? The whole episode, uh, we're all familiar with this parable, but the whole episode actually did not begin in Matthew 20. It began in Matthew 19 uh, when Jesus had the encounter. You read Matthew 19 and you find that it was where Jesus had the encounter with the rich young ruler. Remember that story? And the rich young ruler came to Jesus and asked him a very poignant question. And the question he asked was this, Teacher, 
what good thing must I do to get eternal life? That was the question. Now, to me, that was a giveaway question. And that actually reveals his heart focus. Now, you notice what he, was, what he was asking. He was actually asking this, what good thing must I do in order to inherit eternal life? Which means what? His focus was on his own abilities. It was on his own merits. It was on his own self-effort. What good thing must I do in order to inherit eternal life? So what did Jesus did? Jesus ratted off to him more than 50% of the Ten Commandments. And what Jesus said to this rich young man was here, do not murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, do not give false testimony, honour your father and mother, love your neighbour as yourself. That is six out of ten. More than 50% of he ratted it off. And then what this young man did was he took out his iPad and he ticked them off one at a time. And then he turned to the Lord and said, no sweat, I've kept them all. In fact, I've done it since I was a kid. I think at this point, Jesus didn't, didn't know whether to laugh or to cry because it was such arrogance. You know, the very reason why the Lord gave this young fella the, the, the law was in order to awaken him to the fact that he can't do it. But instead, this young arrogant fella declared, you know, I've done it since I was a kid. I think Jesus didn't know whether to laugh or to cry. But Jesus, knowing the condition of his heart, then gave him this knockout blow. He said to this young man, okay, in that case, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then you come follow me. And how many of you know, from that point on, the table was turned. Because that really socketed to him, you know. In Luke chapter 18, which actually talks about the same uh, parable, actually, go on, um, actually recorded this, that when that young man heard this, he was very sad because he was a man of great wealth. I believe on that day, there wasn't just one sad person, but really there was two. Because I think Jesus was deeply saddened for him as well. And as he watched this young man turn his back and walk away, Jesus lamented. Remember, he said this, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And when Jesus said that, I think it kind of prompted, it kind of surprised the disciples. And that prompted the next question that came from the disciples. The next question they asked was this, who then can be safe? That's another giveaway question because it revealed what was in their heart. See, I think what happened was, what they're really saying is this, if a man of such quality, rich, young, powerful, cannot make it to heaven, then who can? Who then can be safe? And then Jesus replied, with man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. In other words, it is impossible for man to save himself. But with God, it is possible for man to be saved. And that, brothers and sisters, is the main point. It was not his wealth that kept him from heaven. It was his sense of self-sufficiency. Are you with me? It wasn't his, it's not because of his possession. It was because of his pride. It's not because he got big bucks. It's because he got a big head. That's the problem. Self-sufficiency. Seeking to make it to heaven on our own steam, by our own self-effort. That was his downfall. And then came the third question. 
this time from Peter that prompted this parable. And Peter then asked this telling question. He said, we left everything to follow you, Lord. What then will there be for us? How many of you know another telling question? Isn't it? I think Peter, noticing that this rich young ruler was not willing to pay the price and therefore he missed it. Peter must be thinking to himself, well, we have sacrificed everything to follow Jesus. So what then will there be for us? What's in it for me then? I've sacrificed everything. I've given up everything to follow you. So what's in it for me? And then Jesus went on to, un to unveil the wonderful rewards that awaits those who love and serve the Lord. And he said, not only will you inherit eternal life, but you'll be bountifully rewarded for all your sacrifices. And then in verse 30, Jesus ended with this interesting phrase, right? But many who are first will be last, many who are last will be first. Then he went on to tell them the parable of the workers in the vineyard. So here's my point. I think we need to interpret this parable in the light of the question that Peter asked in Matthew 19, verse 27. Are you with me? Where he asked this question, you know, what's in it for me? And this is where, you notice, Jesus ended the parable with the same phrase, so the last will be first and the first will be last. And that's where the connection is between the question and the parable. Okay, in other words, I, can, I may have, I have sacrificed so much to serve Jesus, so what's in it for me? Peter asked. And Jesus replied, in effect, you will be greatly rewarded at the end of the day, but watch out. Watch out. If you are serving me because of what you can get out of it, then you are missing the point. But for those who serve much, but with this wrong attitude, the first may turn out to be last, and the last may turn out to be first. So we need to ask ourselves then, like if you lead worship this morning, why do I lead worship? Why do I do what I do? If you're an usher, why are you ushering? Why do you show up early this morning and do ushering? I need to ask myself, why am I even preaching this morning? What's driving this? Why am I doing what I'm doing? It's not just how much we do or how hard we work, but what is the attitude in which it was done? It was the hard attitude, not just the hard work that God is looking at. Have you ever heard this parable? Uh, about one day Jesus came to His 12 disciples, just a parable. Huh? He came to His 12 disciples and He said to them, pick up a stone. So everybody picked up the stone. Then of course, Peter being the lazy one, he picked the smallest pebble he, could, he can find. And then Jesus led all of them to the riverside, took out His picnic mat and He turned all the stones into bread and it became their lunch. <laughs> and of course, Peter didn't have enough to eat so John had to share lunch with him. Now, one week later, Jesus came to his 12 disciples again and said, pick up a stone. Guess who picked the biggest stone this time? Now, Peter lucked a huge boulder and then lugged it all the way to the riverside. And then Jesus said to them, now cast your stone into the water. <laughs> and Peter almost freaked out. And then he turned to his disciples and he asked them this poignant question. He said, for whom were you carrying that stone? For whom? Were you carrying that stone? And that's the whole point. Why do we do what we do? That's critical. And that's what this whole parable is about. And I want to unpack this parable for you now in the light of this. 
I think that the parable of the workers in the vineyard is primarily addressing our heart attitude in service. Now, firstly, this parable, you need to realize, reflects very vividly the economic condition and the, the practices of the rural villagers during the time of Jesus. It's very lifelike. Now, during that time, you need to understand that most land are owned by rich landowners. And what these landowners will then do is to lease out the land, small parcels of it, to poor farmers. Okay, and so what happened during harvesting time and sowing time is that the, the small farmers will finish plowing and, and, and harvesting their little plot of land and then they ended up with no work, not enough work. So what they would do is they all end up in the marketplace standing around waiting for this rich landowner to come and hire workers for his land. See, and so that's the, the context of it. Okay, and, and these prospective workers will be standing around the whole day hoping to get work for the day. And the other thing is that the standard pay for the day is one denarius. This is one denarius for a day's work. Now, the whole setting of the parable was so lifelike that I can imagine, you know, all the listeners nodding in agreement and understanding as Jesus skillfully unpacked the details of the parable. And all of them were drawn in. The rich landowner coming to the marketplace, you know, to hire more workers, not just once, but five times through the day. Right? He came at 6 a.m., 9 a.m., 12 a.m., 3 a.m., uh, 3 p.m., and then uh, uh, 5 p.m. Five times he comes. The agreed pay, one denarius for the day's work. And the fact that it was the manager, it was the foreman who actually do the payment at the end of the day. All these things were correct. The accuracy of the details must have drawn the crowd deeper and deeper and deeper into the story. And then the twist came. And here's the twist. The twist was that against the custom of the day, the, the specific instruction given was this, that let the last workers be paid first. Now, that is against tradition because during that time, normally those who come first will be paid first so that they can go home and rest first. That's the right thing to do. But in this case, the order was reversed. Let those who come last be paid first. Why? is so that when those who come last discovered that those, uh, they, 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 those who came first discovered that those who came later were paid exactly the same amount that they got, they were truly upset. You can start to hear murmuring going across the crowd. It's not fair. It's not fair. How can those who work one hour be paid the same as those who work 12 hours? What kind of business is this landowner running? Is he communist or what? Everybody get the same thing. But ultimately, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, this parable is not a lesson on business practice. But it is about the ways of the kingdom of God. It is about the workers of the kingdom. It's about the attitude that we have towards the service of the king. That's what this parable is all about. And I want to take my time now to pull out for you three main lessons in service that I hope that you can have as you enter to, uh, the year 2020. Okay, here are three main lessons in service. Number one is this. When it comes to serving God, toward God, don't be calculative. When it comes to serving towards God, don't be calculative. You notice that in this parable, the first batch of workers had an agreement with the, the, the landowner. They entered, as it were, a contract with the landowner for the pay of one denarius for the day's work. Maybe they wouldn't even have gone to work except that they got it all sealed. 
that is one denarius for the day's work. See, how do I know this? Matthew chapter 20, verse 2, tell us this. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day, and then he sent them into his vineyard. And then you notice, all the other workers didn't have this contract mentality. But instead, they went to work on what basis? Trusting that the owner will pay them whatever is right. How do I know this? Verse 4, take a look at this. He told them, for all the other workers, he said, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. And so they went. The later workers trusted in the, in the words and the character of the owner to do what is right. So can I put it this way? I'll put it this way. One group was walking by sight, the rest were walking by faith. Another way to put it, one group had a contract mentality, the rest had a covenant mentality. Let me ask you, which group do you think Peter belonged to at this point? I think it's a contract mentality. The question that he asked exposed the intention of his heart. You look at Matthew 19, 27, right? We left everything to follow you, Lord. So what then will there be for us? He wants to know, what am I, what's in it for me? That's a contract mentality. And here's my point, brothers and sisters. Love is extravagant towards God, but self is calculative towards Him. And we need to ask ourselves, as we enter 2020, why do we serve Jesus today? If you serve only for what you can get, then you only receive what you bargain for. But if we serve out of love, you get more than you can ever imagine or ask. Ephesians 3.20 is right. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we can ask or imagine. We serve a God of abundant grace. It is much better to trust His grace and mercy than to depend on justice and fairness. How many of you agree? I rather depend on the mercy, the grace of God. You know, there was an interesting story that was told about a, a young pastor that was attending Bible college. Now, for those of you who, ever, who have never been to Bible college before, uh, you might think that, oh, it's very easy, just, just breeze through it. Not, not really. When it comes to exams and tests and all that in Bible college, we all also have fear and trembling. I wonder if we could make it. And so the day came when the, there was a test, you know, so all the students trooped into class with fear and trembling, wondering whether they could make it. And the lecturer that day uh, had this special instruction. He told them, when you sit down, nobody touched the... the the exam script or the, the test script until I say start. So they all had the script before them, waiting anxiously. And then finally, the lecturer said, okay, start. And they opened up their, their test script. They were surprised because they discovered that all the, the blanks inside, all the answers were already given in the exam script, in the lecturer's own handwriting. It's all there. And they don't know what to do. You know, I look at you, you look at me. About two minutes later, lecturer stood up and said, I hereby declare that the test is over. All the answers in your script are correct. And all of you got an A+. You know? So everybody was shocked. And then he went around the room asking, you know, did all of your study help you to get an A+. Plus? No. All of your research get you to get A+. Plus? No. Did all of your mugging get you an A+. Plus? No. He said, then he announced, the only reason why all of you got an A+, plus is because the creator of this test have decided to take it on your behalf. Think about it. 
2,000 years ago, we all sat for a test also. And we would have failed miserably. Except that the Creator Himself decided to take that test on our behalf. And on the cross of Calvary, I think He fly, He passed, you know, with flying colours. How many of you agree with that? He passed with flying colours. And because of what Jesus has done today, every single person in this hall, you are an A-plus in the sight of God. Amen. Hey, why don't you turn to your neighbour? I think, I think he doesn't know. You know. Can you tell him that you are an A-plus? You know, really? You are an A-plus in the sight of God. And it's not because of anything we have done, but only because of His grace. And when you get a God like that, you know, a God who is for us and not against us, a God who loves us so graciously, a God who is just deeply, deeply gracious towards us, the only logical conclusion is that we should serve Him without calculating, isn't it? We should serve Him extravagantly. Lesson number one, towards God when it comes to service, don't be calculative, but be extravagant. How many of you amen that, right? Be, towards God, don't be calculative, but be extravagant. Here's the second lesson I learned from the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Towards others, don't be competitive. Don't compare. Why did the owner want the late workers to be paid first? The custom of the day was let the first workers be paid first so that they can go home and rest first. The only reason why he do that is so that the earliest workers can see exactly how much the rest are paid. And then to their horror, they discovered that the rest were paid exactly the same as they were. And how many of you know, the problem was not because they were paid less. They got everything that they bargained for. One denarius. Everybody got that. But the problem was that others were paid more than what they think they deserve. So the problem was not that they didn't have enough. The problem was that others have too much. You see? And the, 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 it wasn't that the owner was unfair. It was that he was too generous in their view. So the earliest workers were all up in arms you know, against the owner because of his generosity towards the rest. And let me ask you, what do you think is the spirit behind all that? I think it's the spirit of envy. It's the spirit of comparison, isn't that right? It's the spirit of jealousy. How did jealousy and envy begin? It always begins because of the disease of comparing ourselves one to another. And I want to suggest to you that this is a disease that's infiltrated the body of Christ from the top to the bottom that constant temptation to compare ourselves with others. Who is better than who? Who has done more than who? Who is more deserving than who? Whose church is bigger? You know, who draws the bigger crowd? Who is more influential? You know, and, and who, who is more recognised? It's issues like that. And at the end of the day, I find that if we compare ourselves with those who are better off than us, we end up feeling envious and jealous. If we compare ourselves with those worse off than us, we ended up proud and arrogant. Either way, we lose. The moment comparison and competitiveness come into our heart, we lose. You know, and it's the same whether we compare people to people, person to person, or church to church. We compare church to church and we will end up either fearful of losing what we have, or we, are, we, will say, we end up coveting what other people have. Whenever competition and, 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 and comparison come in, I find that the kingdom of God will lose ground. Don't you agree? 
Whenever we start comparing, whenever we start competing, I find that instead of setting up, uh, in, in, we, we, are, we all end up setting up fences of competition rather than open up windows of cooperation. And I think, brothers and sisters, this is something we work against. And this is what the parable of the worker is all about. Instead of keeping our eyes on God, we end up comparing, we will end up looking and comparing and spying on what other people do. And God hates that. He absolutely hates that. You know, when I first started ministry, I was about 20, maybe 25, 26, something like that. And as a young person coming into ministry, I came with all of my insecurities. You know, when you're young, you're never quite sure of yourself. So I came with all of my insecurities. And I think my insecurities became very pronounced when I started sharing pulpits with other very anointed people. You know, and there's one group of people that I really get intimidated by. You know who they are? It's the prophetic people. You know, the, pro- the prophets really intimidate me. You know why? Because, you know, they, they will come into any meeting and then they will shout and scream, declare, decree. After that, they give altar call. Everybody rush, crying to the altar call. And it seems like they never need to prepare. You know? You know how hard I had to prepare just to speak to you for half an hour? <laughs> Hours of preparation. These guys never prepare. They come, shout, scream, declare, decree, and then they give all the call. Everybody, repentance everywhere. You know, and there was one conference I still remember. I was sharing the pulpit with two other ministers. I was the middle guy. The first guy was very prophetic. He got up, declared, decree, you know, do that, and then he give all the call. Wow, revival. And then after that, it's my turn. <laughs> and the guy coming after me, I know him also. He's another very prophetic guy. And I'm sure he's going to get up, declare, decree, you know, and do all that. And then I'm thinking to myself, the guy before me prophesied. The guy after me, he's going to prophesy. I think I better prophesy also. <laughs> and so that's what I did. I got up, I also screamed, shout, declare, decree. And then I give out the call. Nobody came. <laughs> the whole thing bombed, you know. And from that day onwards, I make myself a resolution. And I, I learned a lesson. I cannot covet another man's portion. I cannot covet another man's station. I am who I am by the grace of God. God never called me to be a prophet. He called me to be a teacher. And that's where I must stay content. No, so now I'm okay. You know, now I tell people, mine is a non-profit organization. You, know, you understand? <laughs> Now, does that mean that God never used me to prophesy? Of course not. God used anyone to prophesy. But my point is this. God never called me to be a prophet. He called me to be a teacher. And therein, I must be content. Towards God, don't be calculative, but be extravagant. Towards others, don't be competitive, but let's cooperate. Let's complete. Let's complement one another. And the kingdom of God will advance. i leave you one last thing. So important. Towards ourselves, don't be conceited, but stay humble. Stay humble. Imagine those workers all lining up to get their pay, right? The last batch of workers were in front, so they were paid one denarius. Guess what the earlier workers are feeling at that point? How are they feeling? I think they were very excited. Why? Because they, they must be mentally calculating that, wow, these guys who work one hour got one denarius. I work 12 hours, maybe I will have 12, you know. They're getting all ready, thinking of how they're going to spend their bonus, you know. It's so good. But then they discovered at the end, that was not to be. They also ended up with one denarius. You know, perhaps in their mind, they already worked out all of that. 
But in the end, it wasn't to be. And Matthew chapter 20, verse 10, actually tell us this. So when, they, when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. Based on what? Based on what they have done. Based on the effort they put in. They actually believed that they deserved more. They believed they were entitled to more. But it turned out that the first became last and the last became first. What does this remind you of? It brings you right back to where the whole episode started. Right back to Peter in Matthew 19.27. We left everything. We sacrificed everything to follow you. So what then will it be for us? Those are important lessons to learn as we enter 2020. Towards God, when you serve, don't be calculative. Be extravagant because He deserves it all. Toward others, don't compare. But let's complete, let's complement and let the kingdom of God advance. Towards ourselves, don't be conceited. Stay humble. Never have this spirit of entitlement. But anything we receive, it is only by grace. No wonder, you know, God has designed us uh, in such a way. You know, do you know the human body is designed in such a way that there are two things very difficult for us to do. One is to pat ourselves on the back. That's not easy to do. The other is to kick ourselves in the butt. That's also not easy to do. You know why? Because these are two things that were never meant for us to do ourselves. They are meant for other people to do it to us. You do well and let others come. Never pat your back, blow your own trumpet, but let others come pat you on the back and say, well done, that was amazing. And we should encourage one another, but let it come from those around us, those who benefited from all that we've done. And it's very hard to kick yourself in the back too. So when things fail, don't take it too hard on yourself. You know, but instead, uh, don't worry, your pastor will come and kick your back. You know? So let him do it. Uh, the people around us, we, the people that we hold ourselves accountable to, they will do that to us. Don't be too, too hard on yourself either. You know, I learned this. It's a very important lesson, you know. Yes, there was uh, one year, <laughs> again, in my younger days, I was so insecure. You know? I was invited to speak in a national conference. There were 5,000 people in the, in the, in the auditorium. And uh, I was speaking between two great speakers again. First guy that went up before me at that time was Pastor Kong Hee from City Harvest Church. He went up, shared his story. It was amazing. After that, it was tea break. Then after that, it was my turn. And after me was Ed Silverso. He's going to go up next. You know, I'm thinking, oh my God, you know, this guy did amazing. This guy is, of course, so well known. And I'm this little small fellow here trying to get my thoughts in order. So during the tea break, Everybody was enjoying themselves. I was in a room trying to rehearse, looking through my script, going, walking up and down. And then Lawrence Kong from Singapore, Faith Community Baptist Church, this guy came into the room. Typical Lawrence Kong style. He walked up to me all of a sudden and said, you know, Benny, these days I feel so liberated. You want to know why? And say, said, yeah, thanks a lot. You know, I'm so pressured. So I said, yeah, tell me. And I never forget what he said. He said, Benny, it suddenly struck me, you know, that if I would never dream of taking the credit when things go well, then I no need to take the blame also when things don't do out, turn out well. Fantastic. Then he walked away. <laughs> and I never forgot. I felt like a burden just slipped off my shoulders. And it's true. Here's my point. If you would never dream of taking the credit when things go well in your service, then you no need to take the blame. We learn from all of our mistakes, but we learn not to be kick ourselves on the back all the time because it doesn't help. But we allow God to teach us every single time. 
And when it comes to serving the Lord, don't ever fall into this trap of thinking that we have done so much that God is so indebted to us, that we have contributed so much God cannot do without us. The church will collapse if we are not around. i got news for you, man. The church will not collapse. After so many years in ministry, this is my 30 over, 30 over years in ministry, I discovered one principle, you know. God will bury His workmen, but He will carry on His work. He will bury His workmen, He will carry on His work. No one is indispensable. People are adaptable. In my ministry life, I have the privilege of handing over now a total of two organizations and three congregations. And every single time, when it comes time to say goodbye, I tell you, the leadership is always very kind. They'll always come and say all the nice things about you. And then they'll anticipate all kinds of problems. And after you're gone, pastor, how are uh, is the church going to continue to grow? And who's going to preach, etc., etc., etc. And then on the outside, of course, I'm very cultured, right? They tell me all these things. I will say, don't worry. God is in control, you know, and so-and-so is here, etc., etc. But inside, I'm going, no, now then you know. Now then you know. <laughs> you get that feeling. <laughs> but you know what I discovered? After five rounds of doing the same thing, I discovered every time it turned out okay. Every time. In fact, in some places, after I go, they grow. <laughs> I discovered a secret to church growth, you know. You want the church to grow? Okay, never mind. <laughs> Just leave it. <laughs> but here's my point. Like, here's my point. We learn to take God more seriously and we take ourselves less seriously. We are not that big a deal. <laughs> you are such a good crowd. Can I tell you one more story? <laughs> That's all my head. You know, I, I love this story. There was told about uh, there was a pond, you know, and in this pond there were two two ducks and a frog that became very good friends. They became buddies, you know, playing together. Until one summer, it was so hot the pond dried up. And they all know, you know, if they don't migrate to the next pond, they're all going to die. Now, to the ducks, it's no problem. Flap their wings and they'll go over. But they're worried about their little froggy friend because the guy can't fly, you see. So they started racking their brains. Now, how do we bring this fella across? How do we bring this fella across? The, duck, the frog was a very smart fella. So he came up with a brilliant idea. He said this, i tell you what we do. Let's cut a branch off the tree. Duck one, you bite one side. Duck two, you bite the other side. I bite the middle. And then you airflow me over the other side. Oh, they thought about it. This might work. So they cut the branch off the tree. Duck one, bite one side. Duck two, bite the other side. The frog bite the middle. And they were on their way. And it literally worked. They almost reached the other pond when two farmers looked up and saw this incredible sight in the sky, right? So one farmer said to the other, Hey, look, look, look. That's incredible. It's a brilliant idea. I wonder who came up with it. And the frog said, I did. <laughs> you got it? <laughs> What's my point? Here's my point. You don't always have to take credit for everything you do. <laughs> don't take yourself so seriously. You take God more seriously because that's the truth. We remove pride and conceit from our heart or we will face the danger, you know, of having God as our opposer. You know what James 4, 6 says? God opposes the proud but He gives grace to the humble. Pride and conceit literally brings the opposition of God. Any one of you here fancy having God as your opposer? <laughs> it's a scary thought, isn't it? We always say to each other, if God is for us, who can be against us? The opposite is also true. If God is against us, then who can be for us? <laughs> I don't fancy having God as my enemy. Then remove pride and conceit from our heart. 
stay humble. Stay humble. You know, when you, when you actually look at this parable carefully, there is one thread, you know, that links all these negative attitudes of being calculative, being competitive, being conceited together. And I believe the answer is linked to how this whole episode started. It's the primary problem of the rich young ruler, which is self-sufficiency, self-effort. Like this rich young ruler, Peter also started on the premise that service in the kingdom of God is all based on self-effort. How well we keep the commandments, how much we do for God, how much we sacrifice for His cause. But I got news for you, my friends. I've learned that the currency that the kingdom of God transacts with is not self-effort, it's God's grace. That in the final analysis, we are all simply grateful recipients of grace who cannot help but to respond to God in loving obedience and service. And at the end of the day, only service that is rendered out of a heart of gratitude will become gold, silver and precious stone. All others will be wood, hay and stubble and it may not stand the refining fire of God. And so, brothers and sisters of FGA, all that we do in service to God, may it be that which lasts through time and lasts through eternity. It's not just hard work, but it is hard attitude that God desires. So the question to ask is not what's in it for me. The question to ask is what's in it for Him. Three main lessons I want to leave you as you enter 2020, that when it comes to service towards God, don't be calculative, but be extravagant because He alone deserves it. Towards others, don't be competitive, but let's cooperate and let's see the kingdom of God advance in the city of Melbourne and beyond. And towards ourselves, don't be conceited. Stay humble. Don't take ourselves so seriously, but we take God more seriously. Can I end with this and then we'll pray? I have a mentor years ago by the name of Dr. John Garlock. He passed away uh, in the mid-1990s. And before he passed away, one of the things he did was he sent me all of his sermon scripts, some of his best sermon scripts. He sent it to me. And in it, I found a parable that he wrote that I thought was so beautiful. So I took it and tweaked it. And I want to share it with you before I close today. Listen carefully to this. It's a little story about, and it goes like this. One day, I found myself in heaven, standing outside the pearly gates. And an angel came to greet me. And the angel said to me, Congratulations, Benny. Welcome to level 72. I was surprised because I didn't know that there are levels in heaven. So I turned to the angel and I said, I didn't know there are levels in heaven. And the angel said, oh yeah, there are levels. In fact, the highest level anyone can go is level 77. And I, th- and I look at mine and I said, 72, not bad. I was quite excited, I was quite happy. And I was about to step into the gates when the angel said, now hang on, hang on. Uh, can I check something and verify something before I let you in? At that point, I got so anxious. So I turned to the angel and said, why? Did I miss something? Did I do something wrong? Did I not do enough? What's wrong? Then the angel said, no, don't worry, don't worry about it. I just need to verify something. I'll be back very soon. Uh, I was so anxious, I grabbed the angel by his wings and said, no, tell me what's wrong, tell me what's wrong. Then the angel said, you know, here's the thing. You know, based on everything that you have done, the churches you planted, 
the books you, 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 you wrote, you know, the CDs you produced, and all these things that you have done, you're more than qualified to come in at level 72. But what we found surprising is that based on the amount of time you spend seeking God, inquiring of Him and praying and spending time communing with God, we found that it's only about half an hour a day. So we cannot imagine how you could achieve so much if that's all you put in, in terms of seeking God. And maybe we need to verify this. In the moment he said that, my heart dropped. Because I know that's true. I'm not one of those that can lock myself in a room and pray two hours a day. I can't. And as the angel went, my heart was sinking lower and lower. He went away for a long time. And the longer I waited, the more my heart sank. And half an hour later, the angel came back. Then the angel said to me, Congratulations, Benny. Welcome to Level 72. Well, I tell you, I was over the moon. I was so excited. And I said to the angel, Wow, I made it. Tell me, what have you found? And this is what the angel said. The angel said, you know, based on the amount of time you spend seeking God and all that, there's no way you could achieve all this. But then we discovered that there were many other people who are praying for you. We discovered that you have there are intercessors in your church that will surround you, raise a prayer shield for you. We discovered that you have your family, your wife, your children, they pray for you every time you're away. We discovered even there was an old lady sitting in a wheelchair who had made it her job to pray for you every day. And this is true, you know. I found, I discovered through other people, there's this old lady sitting in a wheelchair couldn't go anywhere, couldn't serve anymore. And all she do is take a poster of some seminar I've done somewhere, put it on the wall, and somehow, for some reason, she has found it in her heart to just pray for me. People ask, do you know this person? They don't. And I said, but I pray for this person. And people like that. And that's what makes a difference. And that's why you could do so much. And when I found out, I was so moved. And I said to the angel, you know, I wish I knew earlier and I could have told, I could have done something for them. I could have said, thank you. I could have done something. And the angel said to me, don't worry about it. They'll probably come in at level 76. <laughs> That's true. I tell you, when you get to heaven, there'll be many, many surprises. The people that you think should be first, they may turn out to be last. The people that we never even take notice, they may turn out to be first. There are surprises in heaven. And because this is the case, there is no room for pride at all in our service unto God. Isn't that true? None of us deserve anything. It's only by His grace. Only by grace we get to do what we do. What a privilege it is to be able to serve. And I pray that you enter 2020 with a renewed attitude of saying, God, let me serve with all of my heart because you alone deserve it. Towards God, don't be calculative, but be extravagant. Towards others, don't compete. Let's cooperate. Towards ourselves, stay humble. Don't be conceited. It's a privilege to get to do what we do. In the end, only by grace. Only by grace. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I want you to take a moment this morning just to bow your hearts and close your eyes, bow your head for just a moment.
As we enter 2020, maybe God would be speaking to you this morning, challenging us. First of all, for some of us, maybe it's time for us to step up to the plate and say, yes, I will serve. I will take my gifts, take the talents which came from God in the first place and I will use it to glorify God and to edify others. If this is something you need to do, then you say yes to God. And you say, I make myself available to serve in the year ahead. There are others of us who are already serving. Maybe you are doing so much already in the church. But let the Lord come and renovate our heart attitude so that we will do it out of a heart that says, God, I do it only by grace. Thank you for the privilege of serving. And then towards God, you say, I will never calculate what a privilege it is to be able to serve you. And we put away every sense of pride because there's no room for pride in the kingdom of God. None at all. And you say, God, help me stay humble before you. What a privilege it is to serve. If this is something that God is speaking to you, wherever you are, can I invite you just to raise your, both your hands into the air to say, God, this is a mark of my surrender. I give myself afresh uh, to you. If there's something that God is speaking to you this morning, then wherever you are, would you just do business with the Lord and just lift both hands to God as a mark of surrender and say, God, give me fresh new attitudes as I enter 2020 to serve you. That's right. That's right. Live it up before God. Whether you are a connect group leader, a usher, a pastor, it doesn't matter. We say, God, renew my heart. Renew my attitude. Give me a fresh zeal to serve. The scripture says in Romans 12, 11, don't be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And maybe do it with fervor in the year to come. Hallelujah. That's right. Lift your hands to the Lord. Allow me to pray as I close this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, you see the hands that are lifted before you. And Father God, would you come and renovate our hearts and our minds and give us fresh new attitudes as we enter 2020. God, allow us to serve you out of a heart of, ex of extravagance. Lord, we serve you holding nothing back because you alone deserve it. Help us to work in cooperation with one another to see FGA Melbourne, to see the church in Melbourne make, gain ground for you in the year to come. And I pray, Lord Jesus, remove every pride from our heart and give us a spirit of humility so that it will bring your favour. We know that humility will attract the favour of the Lord and it will allow us to experience your blessings, experience your favour in everything that we do. So we commit ourselves afresh to you this morning. Help us to serve you with all of our heart in the year to come. In Jesus' wonderful name, we pray. And everybody say, Amen.